Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome back in the booth, everybody, on a chilly but soon to be much better week here in central New York. In all week for In the Booth from 2 to 3. As we get set for Orange basketball on the Dome Wednesday night against Carolina and then the road trip to Durham and a matchup with Duke, which is Saturday night at uh, 6.15. So good stuff coming and uh, the tobacco road trip ahead. The Orange feeling a little better about themselves with a nice road win at Miami on Saturday. And we'll talk about that uh, a good deal in our next segment. We'll visit with Tim Welsh of ESPN, get his thoughts from a little distance on what he's seen from Syracuse and uh, around the college basketball landscape where the Big 12 is a a conference he spends a lot of his time in, but uh, also the American. Cincinnati has lost two in a row, bowed out to uh, Wichita State yesterday at home, a very rare Cincinnati home loss, and lots of other sports items, including a little baseball talk. We always like to do that to feel a little bit warmer uh, on these wintery days. I thought it was supposed to be nice. I kind of underdressed uh, for the occasion. I guess it's the next couple of days that it's going to be in the 60s, so we're looking forward to that. My girl Fergie Ferg being uh, ripped apart for her national anthem yesterday. The All-Star game was pretty good, entertaining. The guys played defense. It's a whole, like, stop the press's headline that a little defense was played. LeBron James, the MVP of the All-Star game. Both teams in the 140s, so I don't know. And they were shooting poorly at the start, so I don't know how much credit we want to give the defense, but at least there was some as opposed to uh, none being played. I did see a poll on the uh, related to the national anthem. I know they were talking about it earlier today on uh, ESPN radio. The uh, idea that one of the started this very sports talk topic, right? What's the worst sports national anthem? The fact that it's edging Roseanne Barr in voting means you're completely oblivious to how bad Roseanne Barr's anthem was back at the peak of her fame in 1990, I guess it was. It was a Padres-Reds game. Not only did she completely butcher the anthem, which she didn't take seriously in the first place, she then grabbed her crotch afterwards. It's the all-time worst that I'm aware of performance of the national anthem. Carl Lewis has to be Carl Lewis is bad, pretty bad. But uh, Ferg, and, and they're, you know, cut them the slightest bit of slack in that they're not professional singers. But uh, Fergie letting it rip last night, she struggled and uh, not a strong suit. I didn't turn over to the All Star game until uh, it said it was supposed to start at like 8.20, and by 8.40, they still hadn't tipped off. It was a very long uh, introduction. I guess Kevin Hart, I didn't see one second of that, but uh, he uh, was uh, rough in the. Apparently did a roast of the players. He must have did the the Will Ferrell trick, right? Is that what they did? Kind of the jokey uh, introductions that did not sound like it went well, but uh, that's how she rolls. In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse here from 2 to 3 each weekday. Brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can at 315-437-7644 or 4 ESPN 44. We're going to keep this segment a little short so that we can get to a 
the annotated Coach Beheim press conference following the uh, Miami win and get into that in a moment. Let's go first to uh, Jake in Syracuse on the phones. Hi, Jake. Hey, man. It's funny that you bring up Will Ferrell because I was just thinking about Syracuse's you know bubble bid. And if you've ever seen like semi-pro where you like, it's kind of getting like that. Every other game, it's they're in, they're out. It's kind of getting crazy. Uh, Fergie, uh, my 10-year-old daughter used the word abysmal last night. Um, so it's good vocabulary we'll go with, for a 10-year-old. <laughs> it, it, was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, it, it's kind of like The Last Jedi. Like somebody had to sit there and say, yeah, this is a good idea. And then it comes out and it's just like, no, no, that totally sucks. But I do like the All-Star game, the new format. Um, do you ever feel depressed when you see LeBron James dunk in an All-Star game and think, man, that, what could that guy have done in the slam dunk contest? Like sometimes I just see him just miss his head off the rim, and I'm like, wow, that guy really could have done something. Basically, we call <laughs> You got it, Jake. Uh, lots to uh, dig into there. First of all, he did do something. He just hasn't done it in a dunk contest. He's uh, arguably the greatest player of all time. He's in anybody's discussion of, uh, you know, certainly those greats, and he's right there in the, the stratosphere of Michael Jordan and Bill Russell, et cetera. He just hasn't, and to use his expression, taken his talents to the dunk contest. We can get to the dunk contest in a second. I think creativity is, we're, we're sort of tapped out. We need, we need some new choreography in the dunk contest. Some guys better than others there, but uh, yes, LeBron, I'm sure, would, would put on a show if he were in that. It's a no-win situation, though, for big stars. Yes. Because if you go through it and you don't do well, you look stupid, and if you win, you're supposed to win. So it's like a no-win for them. Yeah, and I would be one who, uh, being a baseball fan, I would like to see the Bryce Harpers of the world in the uh, Home Run Derby, too, and then they all back out or fear for being involved uh, based on the myth that it, I guess it's not completely a myth, but that it's going to hurt their swing for the second half of the season or or any of that. But uh, lots to go in on there and uh, on Jake's call the whole thing and you I don't know if you're underwater or speak, speaking quickly I didn't hear you very clearly there Jake on uh his take from the uh Will Ferrell uh ABA movie in there the thing here's my thing with the bubble and I'm I hate to sound like grumpy old man but I I guess I am in this case I just I can't get into the day-to-day bubble thing the tournament isn't going to spontaneously start they're going to let everybody play their games I can't believe there's 50 guys in basements or girls or whoever that's doing 50 different brackets. Everybody sees Joe Lenardi's thing. Oh, I can do that. Joe, Lenardi, hey, he's the one. He he made he beat everybody to the market. He created his own little niche industry here. He's getting paid to do it. Most of the rest of you are not. And uh, even like Seth, to, to, you know, the bracket matrix. So and so is on 20 of the 40 or the 50. There's 50 people do, doing this. And there can't be that much variation because we all could sit down and mostly read the data and uh, figure out what teams should be in the tournament. There's only a few real discrepancies. Who's a bigger nerd? The guy doing the brackets or the guy who's going through all of the brackets and saying this team's in? Uh, That's a great question. I I should have anticipated you asking you because I I was thinking of that on the drive down here and uh, and listening to Seth's show. Uh, I I was absolutely thinking. I'm like, well, what? Here's bigger nerd, though. And this guy is a self-professed uh, numbers geek who, who's involved in doing this. The bigger nerd is the guy that's making the bracket for the manager games. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just astonishingly nerdy. You know, that 
The uh, Virginia Tech managers have an eight and one. So a game for a bunch of they're just college kids. These are not Division One basketball players. They're just college kids that are playing other college kids in. Syracuse has more managers than just about any program. They don't play any games, to my understanding, because I suppose they could host the visiting teams once in a while, but Syracuse doesn't have shoot-arounds. I don't know when they would play road games. At any rate, that's a, a tangent going off. But, you know, do the bracket thing, figure it out, but there's a lot more games to be played. And uh, you, I don't want to hear, like, this team's in, and that team's – the only way you're truly in the tournament – for sure is if you could withstand losing all the rest of your games on your schedule and right now there's only a few teams that could do that only a handful and you could name them Syracuse is playing two of them yeah Duke and Carolina (laughs) yeah yep that's two of them and uh well Clemson (laughs) you know three really so Syracuse has the the opportunity in front of them they're either going to win you know two three of these games and be in or you know they will have uh fallen short so I don't know. Maybe, maybe that makes me a, a party pooper in terms of getting into that uh, conversation, but I don't have a ton of appetite for it. And I certainly don't for the manager games, with all due respect to the hardworking uh, men and women of college basketball managerial staffs. I do have good news for everybody. I'm looking at the NIT bracketology right now, and Syracuse is not listed yet. They are a potential number one seed. So, so there's good news for you. That that guy's got to be up there on the nerd list, right? Updated February. Hey, we all we all have um, something to do that uh, other people would consider dorky. Some sort of use of our, you know, distraction, or you just want to get away from the world for a while. Current number one you know, seeds. So they have those adult coloring books now. <laughs> Notre Dame, Georgia, Providence, and UCLA are the. Current well, Notre Dame one. is probably earning their way into the NIT by their coach openly saying, "Give us Dayton. We'll take Dayton right now. We'll take it." <laughs> That's what Mike Mike Bray is saying. You know, Notre Dame is a great story to tell in terms of a team uh, set back by injuries, but going on to uh, win a good deal of games uh, when they maybe could have won zero with uh, Bonzi Colson out and Matt Farrell out for a good part of those games as well. So, uh, yeah, that's everybody's got to have a hobby. I, I don't think NIT bracketology is going to be mine anytime soon. But uh, God bless those for whom it is. All right, more to come when we uh, get back into it here. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44. When we come back, we'll walk through some of Coach Beheim's comments following the Miami victory for Syracuse down in South Florida, a 62-55 to win on Saturday. Over the course of the week, we'll get you set for the Orange in Carolina on Wednesday night and then the Cuse at Duke, which is Saturday night of this week. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Wednesday, Syracuse welcomes the North Carolina Tar Heels to the Carrier Dome. Coverage starts at 5.30, tip-off at 7 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. We have found something dorkier than bracketology and the bracket matrix and NIT bracketology. If you're involved in CBI or CIT bracketology, you have got a problem. You, you need to read. You, you need to talk to human beings. You need to take a walk. You need to work out. You need to reevaluate what it is you're doing with your life. But you, my help right, 
Turn my mic on. You know, there's. If you don't know how to run a board and turn on a microphone, you need to reevaluate what you're doing with your life. This is a spoiled Syracuse privilege, though. There's probably yeah, schools right. that okay. are excited okay. to go to the CBS. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Those schools, like under the NIT bracketology, there's a category that says strong CBI candidates. Let let them celebrate their strong CBI candidate nature. Like okay, if Northwestern, who never made the NCAA until last year, wants to be jacked up about being a strong CBI candidate, let them. The guy who runs the website that tells them they're a strong CBI candidate, that like Furman that might is be, probably very Furman, excited. yeah. Furman's jacked, yeah. I mean the Paladins. <laughs> you don't see the Paladins uh, in the postseason very often. It, Frank Selvey scored 100 in a game, and they've been all downhill since the Utah 50s. Valley could be very excited to be making the CBI. Yeah. I think that's the one where you have to, like, pay. Like, like when you <laughs> yeah, get in, they go, okay, yeah. now here's your, here's your bill, and then it, it becomes just a kind of like a travel agency at that point. Like, okay, now we're going to send you to this tournament. I'll give you that. That's a fair criticism of my point that it's, you know, first world problems, and I understand that. There, but for the grace of God, go any of us. New AP poll out, ACC teams involved, and uh, Syracuse has three of the top 15 still on the schedule, let alone potentially in the ACC tournament. Orange will play number 10 Carolina in the Dome on Wednesday at number 5 Duke on Saturday, and then the following Saturday, Clemson, who's now ranked 15th, comes to town. Clemson is tough. Brad Brownell likely to be the coach of the year in the ACC, either he or Tony Bennett at Virginia, who's uh, number one for the second straight week. And uh, Clemson even down a player right in there. They uh, were very much in the game uh, at home against Duke and got clipped here uh, just the other day. So just yesterday. All right, so that's what's uh, happening around the nation, et cetera. We're going to have Tim Welsh of uh, ESPN coming up in just a couple of minutes. I want to take you through some of Coach Beheim's comments from Saturday following the Orange's exciting win in Miami. It was a low-scoring game at the start. Neither team shot the ball well. Syracuse's defense was excellent, and the Orange went on to win it uh, 62-55. It was really the fourth consecutive very good game for O'Shea Brissett, his second ACC double-double. He played all 40 minutes as usual, had 16 points and 12 boards. At 25-8 and eight last game. I mean, he's been playing good all year. Uh, there's nothing different. He's averaging, you know, close to eight, nine, nine re- I don't keep track of it anymore. Close to nine rebounds a game, and he's you know, freshman, he's playing as well as you could ask a freshman to play. Um, I thought he was, uh, I thought he went off the dribble a couple times better tonight, and he finished a couple plays that he hasn't always finished. One of them was really hard. I don't know how it went in, but he made it. Uh, but he's been shooting the ball well from the three-point line. Uh, really, he's, our, I think, our best three-point shooter, 38, something like that. Uh, but he's played well, really, from the beginning. And uh, you know, he's a, I think he's a really good player. Well, he has been playing awfully well in this freshman season. He is right there at uh, nine rebounds per game. Marek Dolezal turned in maybe his most impactful game as a, a college player, 11 points, one off of his career high, three rebounds, the best pass of the year, and an offensive rebound behind the back set up to Brissett. And I thought offensively, you know, that nobody's guarding Marek. And he got himself in the right spots where he could get that little shot, and he, and he made it. Those were big plays. Uh, I thought O'Shea was great tonight, Frank, you know, and, 
Tyus had an off game, but you know, you know, he's going to make that shot at the end. He's made them all year, and that that was the game. I thought that three, Marek's two, and then that three, and then Marek going to the foul line and making the one on ones. He's done that in, in all pressure situations this year. He's been good there. New Orleans uh, did only get nine total free throw attempts in the game. Dolajai three of four. Officials let him play in this one. And really what swung the game for Syracuse was a very early run at the start of the second half. 15 nothing Syracuse spurt. Miami came back with one of its own that was 15-3 a little bit after that. And uh, the fact that that didn't get out of hand or get worse is what won the game for the Orange. We had it in good control. They made a one bounce around the rim three, and you know they got right back. To, that's the thing with a three-point play. You know, three-point shot. You're up 12, and two. It's only two plays, and it's six. You know, then they made a good play in the interior. Marek saved that rebound and made that pass, and O'Shea caught and finished. That was a big bucket. That was a, a real big bucket. And. Uh... You know, certainly O'Shea had his share. Tyus Battle hit a big shot uh, at the end of the game in a game where uh, he did not have his shooting stroke overall, four of 14 altogether. So it got the Orange to 7-7 uh, seven and seven in ACC play, 18-9, and nine, and uh, just continuing to need maybe one more shove or two more shoves to feel good about where they are uh, in uh, bubble and NCAA tournament uh, consideration. Uh, still... Would serve them very well. Got to win at BC. Got to pick off two or three more of these games with, in essence, at this point, only five left on the schedule. You got the four regular season games and uh, one in uh, the ACC tournament at minimum. Uh, Syracuse is so due to win an ACC tournament game that you figure they'll uh, have to get one this year. Back to a couple of these comments, and these uh, tend to be more in the uh, range of what should we look for going forward. Frank Howard, obviously, for somebody who handles the ball as much as he does, is going to have to be uh, key for Syracuse. Can he keep up the level at where he has played? He's made just one turnover each in three of the last four games. He led the team with 18 points, six assists, just the one turnover in 40 minutes. Again, he's done that three times in the last week and a half. Frank, I thought, was really good. He made buckets when we really needed him. Uh, he you know, likes his really good little defender he gets after people I thought Frank handled that well uh, he only turned it over once uh, I thought he, he did a really good job there's such an advantage for Howard being six five against a five foot seven guard but one of the disadvantages is it's really hard to keep the ball away from a guy that's that low to the ground and that up into you in the way that uh, Chris likes was and Howard did a nice job in that game the other thing the orange improved on they didn't get shredded by the three-pointer by Miami. Allowed seven. Three different players hit two apiece. DJ Vasilevich, who was kind of the you know, red star, put a mark on him. You know, This is the guy that's uh, not going to beat you uh, sort of thing. He had one early, one a little bit later, but uh, was just the, the two for six. And Miami also probably rushed into or took some ill-advised long-range shots. They had seven – I'm sorry, six players shoot at least – two three-pointers, and it did not go well from distance for the Hurricanes. In the last two games, I think, taught us a lesson. We were letting guys get too comfortable. The last game, too comfortable on the three-point line. The Wake Forest game, they were out. But I thought we did a better job of getting to the outside and, and contesting the threes. Well, they did that and had to, in some cases, go out for some range. 
Uh, Miami has a couple of uh, bigger players that can shoot, like Sam Wardenberg. He's 6'10", gets him away from the basket, too, and uh, less likely to be a rebounder in that uh, situation. As for the Syracuse bigs, this was a, a game where they did not make much of an impact. You can tell that uh, you know injuries are among the things taking the toll in the 40 combined minutes. In this game for Pascal Chuku and Barama Sidibe, they combined for four points and nine rebounds. We need our centers to be more productive. Uh, I thought Pascal started out well, and then he just he disappeared in the game, and he wasn't really he just got nothing going there. He had all his rebounds early, and uh, I just we need him to be more effective. You know, he's got to make layups end of games you know we need him Barama to step up a little bit inside presence well that's something to watch for going forward here when the Orange uh, play some really good teams down the stretch North Carolina uh, led by a veteran guard in Joel Berry but also in uh, Luke May a big fellow that can step out and can uh, really bang on the inside and then it is off to uh, Duke and the outstanding uh, young but very very talented Blue Devils team more on that as we continue on the show. When we come back, we'll visit with Tim Welsh of uh, ESPN. Tim uh, handles a lot of games in the Big 12. You'll remember him as the uh, former Iona and Providence coach, former uh, Syracuse assistant coach, and uh, certainly somebody who keeps an eye very closely on the college basketball scene. We'll check into that. Then Joe Salzone will swing by with Do We Care, including some baseball pace of play regulations that we'd like to discuss with you as we continue. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back as we get set for Orange Basketball in the Carrier Dome. It is a Wednesday night matchup with Carolina. 7 o'clock start as the uh, Q's... Looks to get over 500. Haven't been there since the win on New Year's Eve against Virginia Tech. Have not only gotten to 500, flirted with going over it, but uh, not quite getting over the hump to get a winning record in ACC play, which would uh, make you feel a whole lot better about what could potentially come for Selection Sunday, just a couple of weeks from yesterday. To get a little feel for the uh, college basketball scene from a little distance, we thought we'd bring on our friend Tim Welsh from ESPN. Hello, Tim. How are you? Always a pleasure to be in the booth, although I've never been there. So this is uh, my first opportunity, and it feels good already to be in the booth with it's you. It's luxurious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the best for you. Oh, well, it's great. It's great. Uh, just a shame I haven't been up there to see you in uh, the great white north, but uh, I've been keeping track of everything uh, from afar, as you said. Uh, obviously, keep my finger on uh, on everything, but always the cues, that's for sure. Sure. Well, it's supposed to be in the 60s the next couple of days. I, I dress like it today, and uh, I'm paying for it right now. But Oh, uh, sure. Oh, suppo- sure. That's what you guys <laughs> always say. It's going to be in the 60s. Yeah. yeah, in February. Well, yeah. I got that would be great. Yeah, that uh, that'll warm everybody up for a for a big night on Wednesday night. That's for sure. Right, and as the people say around here, you know, when that happens, all that it really means is you're either going to get the flu or your street's going to flood, or you know that that's your typical uh, Central New York attitude. On nothing on matters <laughs> except that game at 7 p.m. Wednesday. It doesn't matter what the weather come, is. Just come heck or high water, and, people will. Or uh, Bill Rafferty would say, "Get Timberland Row ready and excited." Not Gucci Row. Timberland Row. So it's all good. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we saw Raft uh, the other day down in uh, Miami. It was good to 
Good to see our man. And on the day where Ian and Noah Eagle got a lot of attention, they uh, did the combo there. Ian had the game I on CBS and Noah and, on WAR. Uh, you know, nice of Raft. You know, usually the noon tips are not up, right up his alley, but uh, you know, he he made the appearance. And uh, you know, you guys didn't hear him, but I did uh, from my hotel room on the road. And uh, obviously, just like riding a bike, that guy pops easily. And uh, that was a great story, Ian and Noah. I actually watched it uh, a clip of that last night and. Noah has the same wit as you know, he looks like him. Obviously, he's talented, I'm sure, but the same funny wit as his dad. So uh, I'm sure he's got a bright, bright future. He certainly does. He's uh, If you're going to copy somebody, Iron Eagle's a good place to start, and uh, Noah's got the blueprint to that, and uh, he'll do very, very well, trust me, on that one. So w- what are your observations about what you've seen from Syracuse in this uh, year here where you know potentially a starting forward is gone on the first day of school? Uh, a guard that they had in mind leaves after six games. Another one gets hurt, etc. And uh, right now they're eighteen and nine, and uh, at five hundred in the league. Well, it's funny because obviously I think Jim's one of the all-time great coaches in the history of college basketball, or just coaches in general of any sport. And it's funny when you know him as good as I do, and watching his teams through many, many years, going back thirty, forty years, way back. Even it's. Uh, the great teams that he has, the great talent, he always delivers, and he never gets any credit. But he doesn't have as much out there. He seems to get so much more credit, but he still has the same coaching job every year, and it's superb. And this year I think he's getting recognized for it because, obviously, I think even coming into the season, not a lot of people thought they were going to be very good because, you know, they they lost uh, – they lost the kid to the NBA draft, and they lost the kid to the transfer to Seton Hall. And then, you know, when you're depleted that much, and you have that many, so many new faces coming in to step up. I mean, Battle was there, and you didn't know what Howard would do, and you just wondered if they had enough pieces to withstand the season. And then when they had the injuries on top of it, he's done an amazing job, and the kids have done an amazing job. They really have. I mean, the staff, the kids, Jim, everybody together, just to kind of be in the position they are. I mean, they went through that little bump uh, in that Georgia Tech, uh, Pittsburgh, they weren't re- really good, but they got the win. Uh, the Virginia game, obviously, against a great team, where just where they struggled to score, but they seemed to have found their way a little bit offensively. The little game, they, I thought they clicked very, very well. Uh, Wake, they played well, hung in there at the end. And NC State, they just made a ton of shots. And NC State's a good team. It's not a bad loss in any re- re- way. I think they'll be in the NCAA tournament. And then the defense they played over the weekend in Miami was special. And I think Brissett is the key because he just gives them that force on the backboard, that guy that can rebound the ball. And when he's rebounding the ball, then that means they can get out and transition and score a lot easier. If they have to play a grinded-out half-court game, that's when they're going to struggle because they just don't have the guard play or the guys who are just going to go get baskets easily in the half-court and they don't shoot the ball well enough. So they've got they've got to try to get out and transition, and I think that's where Howard is better and that's where – you know, battle can really flourish as well. And when they get out and transition and run a little bit, they can beat anybody in the in the ACC. There's no doubt about it. And then they, they really their defense has been pretty good. And and I think that you know the part of the defense that sometimes lacks is then they don't rebound. And you know when they finish off with the rebounding, then they're as good as defensively as anybody in the conference. And that's what can take them, I think, uh, into the NCAA tournament. Visiting with Tim Welsh, the uh, former Iona and Providence coach now a longtime uh, ESPN analyst and a good one and Tim we know here we've talked about it uh, at length for years but this year it's very acute you know all these coaches they're they're your brethren 
how trepidatious would most people be in having three players play 40 minutes every game? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, going around the country and you talk to some of these guys. I mean, we only got six or seven guys. I remember going back to you know, 1990 or 91 when we were with Jim, and we had only had eight, I think, or nine. And the one thing is that everybody's happy. Nobody's mad in the locker room after the game. <laughs> nobody's, like, coming in, knocking on your door, saying, I want more minutes, or I want more touches, or I want more of this. It's just, you know you know what your job is. And I think Jim's a master of that, not only of that, but also understanding how you got to manage uh, the practices. And certainly the injuries, uh, they come and go throughout the season for everybody. But it's been devastating for them. And you've got to just roll with the punches. And obviously if they lose anybody else, they're in major, major trouble because they're down to the bare minimum right now. And these guys, they're used to playing 40 minutes. You get used to it. There's a lot of timeouts. Uh, you know, they charter now back and forth. The, the wear and tear of the travel is not as bad, even though the, the ACC does have some bad, you know, pretty long road trips. But they're all flights, and you're home, you're only one night in a hotel. So, you know, Jim knows how to manage that. His staff does, too. They do a great job with game preparation. They keep it short. They keep it to a minimum. As we know, Jim doesn't shoot around on game days, which I think is brilliant. Uh, you're not going to get anybody overtired, worn out, not only physically but mentally. And, and this that's this part of the year. And you saw it down in Miami. They just went out. Played their game. They made Miami shoot the threes. They weren't pretty offensively early, but they just got the job done. And I think that's the, everybody knows their role. And then if they can get out and rebound and get out and transition, I think they're going to be fine as long as they don't. I don't think they're going to wear out. I think, obviously, they just can't have any, any more injuries. I'll tell you who uh, has started lately his own impromptu game day shoot-arounds, and it's paying off for him is O'Shea Brissett. He has uh, a couple times on the road gotten the uh, bus driver to take him over to the gym with Adrian Autry. And uh, obviously, I, I assume on these home days, they're getting to the Mellow Center to, to shoot, and, and O'Shea is playing very, very well. Tim Welsh is with us. It's the uh, Orange and Carolina on Wednesday night, then Duke to follow. So you talk about playing in the ACC here, Tim. This is where, you know, certainly there's always going to be opportunities. And if on, on that day it clicks where the Syracuse defense, for the most part, has been very good, and they do make shots, well, not only are you just winning, but you're, you're beating top-caliber teams. All three of them are in the top 15. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I watched Clemson uh, quite a bit yesterday against Duke, and uh, you know they're a good, solid team. They're really good defensively, so I, it's a win, a very winnable game at home. There's no doubt about it. BC's scary. I mean, as we know, the guards, especially at home, are going to be uh, they can beat anybody. They be already have a win over Duke. Uh, they can they can play. There's no doubt about it. those guards for BC. So you're going to have to take care of that. You know, the Duke game will be great. It really will. I think uh, Syracuse can play with them because we know Duke's going to go up and down. Uh, Duke's going to play some zone. No, they're playing a lot of zones all day year. yesterday, and, uh, right? Against Syracuse, Clemson, Syracuse is going to have to attack that. We know Mike's picking up all the zone concepts for the years being with Jim and USA basketball, and then of course Carolina has played very well as of late. And you know they've got a ton of talent. Uh, they're going to run up and down the floor, so I think it's that plays to Syracuse's advantage. They're going to make it a kind of a wide open type game. Syracuse is going to have to get back and make sure they can test, and then but. Do, Carolina's going to move the ball quickly, and it's not going to be a grinded-out game, which I think, again, plays to Syracuse's advantage. Yeah, looking forward to it uh, Wednesday night at 7. Uh, Tim, let's get a couple of things just uh, based on your travels. I know you're in the Big 12 a lot, speaking of traveling. And uh, the story there is the foul discrepancy in the Kansas-West Virginia game over the weekend uh, leading to the ejection of Bob Huggins, 35-2. And uh, what a league that's been this year, and you can tell – uh, everybody trying to dethrone Kansas, uh, it uh, certainly gets the tempers going. Well, you 
know, first of all, there's nothing like st- three straight Wednesday night trips to Lubbock, Texas, which we just finished. And uh, it's door-to-door from my house in Little East Greenwich, Rhode Island. It's 10 hours. So it's uh, it's like going to Rome. You know, you're going to Rome every week and back, basically. But anyway. Same culture, really. Chaos, Rome and Lubbock. wasn't great, uh, as always. But Texas Tech has been in the top 10, as we know, for the last three or four weeks. And they're very good. They're senior-laden. They got a couple of really good freshmen. And uh, they got beat over the weekend, though. They went to Baylor and got beat. Baylor's beaten Texas Tech and Kansas in the last week, and they're now they've emerged suddenly as a as a team that's probably going to make the NCAA tournament. They're going to get seven or maybe eight teams in the tournament out of the ten, which is interesting. So it's a, a great league. It, the Kansas situation going back to the other night. Listen, Bob's upset. Any coach worth anything uh, would be upset. There's just no way you walk in and you, you go into somebody's building and it's 35 to two, especially when you're a quality team. I mean, it's one thing if you're, you know, it's a blowout or it's it's an uneven matchup, but you know, you're a quality basketball team in your conference and you're a top 20 team going on the road. You just figure this can't happen to me now without having. I have not watched the tape. Uh, I've seen a couple clips, some things that maybe were blatant. But listen, I do know. I don't. I don't even know who the third ref was. I know who gave up. I, I want to say Higgins, uh, Lucky, and I'm looking it up as we speak. Yeah, I didn't see who the third ref was. But, but speaking to Jamie Lucky and then uh, John Higgins, I've had both of them. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, they're hard-nosed officials, and you know who they are coming into the game. Both of them ref numerous Final Fours. And I would tell you this, that if I was going on the road to play, I would, and they. I walked out and saw them. I would be fine. I would be more than fine. I would be happy because number one, they've got gritty, gritty backbone, both of them, and they're not afraid to ref on, call something against the home team. So, saying that, knowing those two guys as I do, it's hard for me to believe that they were intimidated by Allen Fieldhouse. And, and matter of fact, there's no way they were. And so. So I don't know what happened in that game. It's certainly, you know, we had that situation once at Rutgers, one of my first couple of years in the Big East. We went down there, and it was fouls were like 5-5 five to five in the first half. The second half was 27-2, to two, and I went ballistic. And I don't even know if I had a right to go ballistic, but when you see those numbers, you do go ballistic. You're, you lose your mind because you, you think that it's not fair. Something happened. And... Uh, so from that regard, I mean, now they're breaking down the last 10 years. The amount of free throws Kansas has shot home, I saw that today. Is They've shot 542 more free throws than their opponents in the last 10 years, an average of four per game more, and the average, national average is two per game more in conference. So all that stuff is going to be broken down, at least till the end of tonight's game when probably Oklahoma gets – Trey Young gets to the free throw line 20 times and they'll start, start, stop talking about that, but <laughs> – it's interesting, and, and I and I do think that it, when you look around the country, at, at going to Duke, going to Kansas, going to Kentucky, maybe going to Arizona, maybe even going to the Carrier Dome, sometimes it's just human nature. These officials will get intimidated by the home car, crowd, and it's not like they're favoring Syracuse or Kansas or Duke or any of these teams. It's just it happens sometimes because that's why you want to play at home. That's part of the home court advantage, and you hope that the officials can overcome that, but some of them can't. Some of them aren't good enough to do that. And But I do think John Higgins and Jamie Lucky can would overcome it and wouldn't have any problem with it. They are both hard-nosed, tough guys, and 
Hence, they threw Pop out of the game. They didn't want to hear it. Yeah, they're uh, A-listers for sure. The third official in that game was Keith Kimball, so he'd be the uh, junior official by far uh, compared to the other two. If it makes anybody feel any better, the foul, if you look at instead of the foul shots, the foul discrepancy was uh, still not good, but much closer, 26-14. The free throw discrepancy, the largest in uh, Kansas history, 35 to two. All right, Tim, you're very uh, generous with your time. We appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll do it again. Maybe we can wa- walk through the bubble or something here in another All week right, or anytime, two. All right, pal. Great talking to you, and uh, enjoy the rest of the run. Yes, we'll we'll do, and uh, I know you will from afar. So we appreciate that, Tim Welsh of uh, ESPN. Awfully good on college basketball. Keeps a finger on what's happening not only in the leagues where he's uh, paid to be the commentator, Big Twelve and American, uh, pretty regular. Didn't have a ton of time there to get into. Cincinnati falling in back-to-back uh, games here, losing at home on the weekend against uh, Wichita State. Cincinnati certainly will be fine, but uh, that's where he spends uh, most of his time, but obviously always keeping an eye on uh, Syracuse from a distance as well. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. Pace of play regulations, new to baseball. Looking forward to that and more as we roll along in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Don't miss the Upstate Lacrosse Show this and every Saturday at 9 a.m. Hosted by Syracuse University four-time All-American Rick Beardsley and News Channel 9 Sports Director Steve Infante. Covering men's and women's college, club, pro, and high school lacrosse teams from Central New York. Expert analysis, guest interviews, and previews of upcoming matchups. It's the Upstate Lacrosse Show. Saturdays at 9 a.m. on ESPN 97.7 FM. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. A new rule for Major League Baseball. The league placing stricter limits on mound visits by players for the upcoming season in an effort to speed up the games. Players will be allowed no more than six visits to the mound. Yeah, all for it. That's one of the things that uh, I think unnecessarily slows down the game there's no action there is going to be a little stipulation I find interesting about is really more of an umpire safety thing if if all the mound visits have been used up so let's say it's the eighth inning and the team's already made six which is a lot in that period but the umpire in his judgment figures that the pitcher and the catcher aren't on the same page and there was a cross up like when the catcher sets up for a fastball and it was a slider or vice versa uh, then the umpire can allow them to straighten that out and, and have a little trip to the mound for that purpose. I found that interesting, but I'm all for the things that make the game a little uh, snappier uh, because I want more people to uh, love and enjoy the game. So let's hope that the, these things go through. We'll try to spend a little more time on this maybe on tomorrow's show. Just hours after NBC announced their newest on-air talent, Adam Rapon has pulled out of that job. The Olympic figure skater announced on Sunday that he would rather stay with his, U- uh, with his U.S. teammates in South Korea. That decision came just a few hours after the network announced the 28-year-old bronze medalist would work as a correspondent. Couldn't care less one way or the other, other than it's Rippon. But- what did I say? Did I put the emphasis on uh You said Rippon, Rippon like, uh-huh. like, uh, like the mustard. Well, or Groupon. Right. There you go. Even better. <laughs> and DHL says they're sorry for a lack of chickens at KFC restaurants in the UK. The delivery company has issued the apology for failing to deliver fresh chicken, forcing many KFC restaurants to temporarily close. I thought it was interesting the way this was messaged by the company. I think they just have a better sense of humor in the UK and just the way they sort of phrased it like, 
look, we're away from the fryers. We'll, we'll get back. We, <laughs> we're keeping up our standards. Some restaurants are uh, changing their hours. Some are changing their menu slightly. And uh, others are closed. Get over it. We'll fix it. Basically did, is what they were saying. Did it ruffle some feathers with the customers? The chickens huh? were pretty happy with the development, I would say. All day with the puns. Dewey Cares brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love it first slice. Is that a pun? No, it was, a jo- it was an old man joke. Play, it, play on words? Dad joke? Eric Hosmer's of Padre. I know. That was in the notes. That's so so fantastic. Eight years. I We talk about it all the time, and it, partly it's to rub it in. And Well, that was in and out on the, the discard there. It sure was. I think that should count. I mean, if there was less trash, that'd be like blocking the shot from the underside. Basket interference. There's less trash in the bin. It would have stayed in. I'll and give went you down, the Hit the trash and popped out. Well, how's there that much trash in there on a Monday? Um, San Diego Padres should be able to get recruits. It's San Diego, by the way, to start. It recruits free agents. And then it's a great ballpark. And if you could live there and be a gazillionaire, why, why wouldn't you be there? So great for Eric Hosmer. It took so long. And, That's true. Uh, small, small uh, payroll. The rest of your team stinks. The TV market's not very... Well, TV market, once you get there, what, what's he care? He's not watching the games on TV. <laughs> That's all where right. the money comes from. <laughs> well, I understand. But all right, we're back tomorrow, too. We'll see you in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.